We are continuing our series on the life of Joseph. And as we have talked about to, up to this point, we talked about the idea that Joseph was from an incredibly dysfunctional family. Um, we talked about the idea that your past doesn't determine um, your future. Uh, your choices determine your future. Last week, we talked about the idea of Joseph's dream, and we talked about the idea that in that particular time in the Bible, dreams were a way that God revealed what his plans were. And then we talked about ways that God speaks to us today through his word, through people, um, through the Holy Spirit, through circumstances. This morning, we're going to take Joseph from where he is at this point in the story, and we're actually going to leave him in the pit at the end of the day. And then we'll pick it up next week um, on what happens, and then we'll take a break from Joseph for about uh, three, four weeks and, and deal with some of the things as we come into the Christmas season. And then we'll pick Joseph up uh, again um, as we head into the, the new year. So this morning, we're going to start in Genesis 37. I've got quite a bit to read, but... Um, uh, let's see, hang on with it. Um, okay, click on Joseph. You got it? Are we good? Ah, there we go, great. I'm back in control. All right. Now, his brothers had gone out to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. That's going to be important. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with all the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in a distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. That's an important little phrase here. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So let's, um, uh, I don't want to go there. Oh, yeah, I do. Then Joseph came to his brothers and they stripped him of his robe, uh, the very coat of many colors the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. So here we have this story, and I want to walk through it all and make sure we all understand the story before we get into some application with it. So um, let's put some pieces together for us. Uh, his dad is Jacob, or Israel, um, either one is concerned about his sons. Um, they have been up in Shechem for a while now. Now, it's very important that we understand the, the backstory to Shechem. 
Because what happened in Shechem, if you go through the life of Jacob, is that um, in, in the people of Shechem, some of the men took one of his daughters and raped, them, and raped her, and Jacob, Jacob didn't do anything about it. Her brothers, his sons, were so upset, they went to Shechem, and they literally killed all of the men of Shechem. They then took everything from Shechem, and they headed down to, to be with their dad now. They basically decimated the area. So the only thing they would have left were a little bit of scavenger stuff and, unfortunately, old people. Um, because, again, you, you have to understand in these cultures, um, older people didn't necessarily have value. They couldn't work the fields. They couldn't, so, and, and they couldn't produce children. So basically, when, when, when an army would come in like that or, or, or a group of people would, would ransack a city, they would only take things that they could get value out of. Um, so cattle, animals, sheep like that. So they had done that, and it happened a long time before. And basically, Jacob doesn't do anything about it uh, because Jacob's a passive father. So we have this story now of that's what happened at Shechem. So his sons are now up in Shechem taking care of the flocks. And the problem is that they've been, they've been gone too long. Apparently, from the story, we get the idea that they had grazed out the area of Shechem, and they needed more grazing land, so they go to Dotham. But jo Jacob doesn't know that. He's wondering, what's happened to my son? Because the last time they were in Shechem, it wasn't good. Maybe the people have taken revenge on my kids. So he looks to Joseph. Now, this is important to understand. Why isn't Joseph with his brothers and the animals? Because you see... Joseph is Jacob's favorite boy. He is the son of Rachel. And these boys are the sons of Leah. And he had favored Rachel over Leah time and time again. So much so that basically what he had done is by giving Joseph this coat, he was basically saying, you're the next heir. Bypassing, and this is important, Leah's oldest son, whose name is Reuben. So she has, he has bypassed him. You're going, man, you lost me like back in Joseph. Uh, hang on. Hey, we'll get there. We'll get, you'll get there. You'll catch up. So this is what we have going on. So Joseph now goes up to check on his brothers. So he gets to Shechem, and he's wandering around. He can't go in from place to place, can't find him, find his son. He looks at him, wandering in the field, says, what are you doing here? He says, I'm looking for my brother. And they say, oh, well, I don't know where they are for sure, but I heard somebody mention Dotham. So he gets heads down there. As he is walking, it's interesting, the text says that his brothers see him coming afar off. Now, you've got to ask yourself, what was it about Joseph that they were able to spot him from a distance? You know, the coat. I mean, I, I think that's it, you know. I think they could recognize this thing no matter what. And, and again, we talked about this the last couple of weeks. They are so angry at Joseph. It says they can't even say a good word about him. So they see him coming and they start plotting to kill him. Now listen, I understand getting angry at somebody. But this is a whole other level. And they are so angry that they're thinking... You know what? 
I'm so tired of listening to him talking about his dream and talking about how he's better than us and talking about his mama, Rachel, and, 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 dis, and, and dissing our mama, Leah. I am so tired of that. You know what? Let's show him what it's really like, and let's do away with this dreamer's idea of his dream. He thinks we're going to bow to him. No way. We're taking him out. And as they're plotting, Reuben says, mm, that's a bad idea, boys. Let's not take him out. We've shed enough blood. And again, being from Shechem and all they had done at Shechem, and they had watched all of this play out, and he's like, you know what? We're going to get into why, why I think Reuben said what, what he did. But in this story, he basically says, let's come up with plan B. And plan B is, let's throw him in a well. Those of us who are in the country, you know what it's like to have an empty cistern that you don't use anymore. And you know how nice a dwelling that place is. Um, and so they throw him in a dry cistern. Now Reuben's plan is to come back and get him and take him to his daddy. Because that way, and we'll get into this in a second, that way Reuben can be the hero. And Reuben really needs to be the hero. Because he's, he's messed up big time. So that's what they do. So Joseph comes, and they strip the coat off of him, which is a source of their irritation. They strip the coat off, and they throw him in a cistern. And we're going to end the story this morning with Joseph in a pit. And we're going to talk about why, and we're going to talk about some application for our lives. So that's the story. Okay? That's the background behind this whole thing. There are so many lessons that we can pull out of this story. And the reason I want to stop where I am is because I just, if you're like me, I can't, you, know, you can only handle so much. So I'm going, to, I'm going to zero in on three things this morning from, from the lives of the people who are involved in this. Um, the, the, the first thing is his brothers. Here's the first lesson I think you see in his brothers. You deal with sin when it's small. Um, this started, this, this mindset, this attitude, this hatred toward Joseph got a seed in his life, and this thing snowballed. Um, they got to the point that they didn't want to even hear him talk anymore. And then they got to the point that they couldn't even say one nice thing about him. And now they're at the point where they're plotting his murder. How, how does that happen? How do you get, and, and, and I think when you look at the life of Joseph, you can see the pieces start to fall in place. You can see the fact that when, when his dad gives him that special coat, that's poking the bear, so to speak. When he starts talking about dreams of he, they're going to bow to him, that pokes the bear a little more. One of the things that we don't often think about is the backstory here. Because you see, in the backstory here, what would have happened is Joseph is, his mommy is, is Rachel. And Rachel ends up having one more son, Benjamin, and she dies giving birth to Benjamin. So here's a question. Think about this for a second. If your mommy has died, 
Who becomes your mommy? Leah. That's the way the culture worked. Leah would have became the stepmom for Joseph and Benjamin. And the brothers now have Joseph brought into their family, who they know is the favorite of daddy, and, they, and daddy really doesn't like their mom, Leah. So that's now poking the bear. And they let it fester, and it continues to fester, and it continues to take root, and it continues to go on and on and on and on and on, till it gets to the, till it gets to the point that they're ready to take his life. The book of Hebrews talks about this. It says, be careful lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The idea is this. And, and if you go earlier in the passage in Hebrews, he actually uses the, um, the story of Cain and Abel as a background for this. Again, a deal where a little sin took root, and the next thing you know, you're taking a life. They got upset because they, they, they were taking up an offense for, you know, he was taking up an offense that really wasn't an offense, and that's, that's what you see here. The, these brothers let this thing fester, and they feed each other. And as they feed each other, there's a the point that they go, let's take him out. Listen, if you deal with sin in your life when it's small, it doesn't get the chance to grow into something big. And one of the things that I think you see in the life of the brothers is, rather than deal with this on the front end, they actually come to the point that they're willing to take the life of their brother because they're that angry. And you go, oh, PJ, don't worry about me. I would never, never resort to murder. No, maybe not. But you will kill relationships. And you will destroy stuff. Why? Because we let this stuff eat away at us. And, and one of the things that you learn in the book of Hebrews about this bitterness thing is it, it, it's fascinating what the passage says. The passage actually says, if you don't deal with this, it will trouble you and it will, it, it'll defile every relationship you have. And you've watched this play out. You watch people who get angry at something, the next thing you know, they've alienated everybody around them and they just have this small little group around them. And before that, before you know it, they, they even alienate those people. Because they've got to have an outlet for that anger. And, when, and, and, and if you haven't figured this out yet... One of the things that you learn about relationships is, unfortunately, you tend to hurt the most the people that you love because they happen to be the closest people to you. Um, you know, I go back to my, my dog illustration that I use a lot of time. You know, about a little kid who, you know, his favorite dog that he cuddled with all the time and played with and everything else. The dog runs out and gets hit by a car. And so the kid runs out. The first thing he does is pick up that dog, and the dog bites him. Why? Because the dog's hurting. The dog doesn't know what else to do. So the dog bites the first thing that's closest to him. And this is what you find with people who let that anger and bitterness. They, they end up biting everybody around them that gets close. And it is so dangerous. It is so unhealthy for you. Deal with it when it's small. Had his brothers done that, and by the way, you're going to see this as we go through the life of Joseph. 
His brother struggled for 13 years because of their anger. It cost them being guilty and guilt-ridden for 13 years. It eats away at them. Even when his daddy dies, it's still eating away at him. Deal with it when it's small. Second thing, Reuben. Um, One of the things that's fascinating here is when you do a little digging into Reuben. So let me kind of give you the short version. Reuben's the oldest child. Reuben was the firstborn. So by all rights, Reuben is, he's going to get the double portion. He's going to be the one that should be the rule. He should have been the one to have the coat. He should have been, the, he, he was a leader. And, and you see Reuben as a leader in the beginning. And one of the things that you see here in Reuben's life is when you look at the backstory, Reuben had decided, had come to a point that he did something that you never do in that society. He took one of his father's concubines, and under that, that, that culture at the time, that was punishable by death. He should have died. Jacob should have taken his life for that. That was a capital offense. But we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jacob was a passive father. Jacob just let it slide. I believe that Jacob understood the consequences of his sin. And he knew that at some point he was going to have to pay for it. And daddy was going to call him on it. And by the way, daddy does at the end of his life. When Jacob is ready to die, he looks at Reuben and says, because of what you did, you're not not getting a double portion. Um, You're not getting the inheritance that you should have gotten. But he waits until the end of his life to deal with it. But in Reuben's case, here's what happened. Because Reuben knew, I believe, because Reuben knew what he did was wrong. You know what Reuben does? He tries to gain the, uh, the attention of his father. He tries to win him back. I think that's why the text says one of the reasons he didn't want him killed is because his ultimate plan was to go down, pull Joseph out, walk back in with, jo- with Joseph and say, hey, daddy, I rescued your favorite son. There's an interesting statement that, and again, I'm fast forward to the end of the story. Those of you who know the story in the life of Joseph, you, you, you know what's coming. But there's a really interesting statement that that Reuben makes. Here's the scene. Um, They're in Egypt. Joseph's on the throne. The brothers are standing before this, as far as they know, Pharaoh. He doesn't look like Joseph. He doesn't smell like Joseph. He doesn't talk like Joseph. He doesn't act like Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. And they're standing before him. And they are scared to death. These Hebrew people in front of the second, this is the second most powerful person in all of the world at this time. Listen to what it says. Reuben replies, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand him since he was using an interpreter. Joseph knew Hebrew. He listened to his brothers having this discussion. And Reuben's sitting there and going, 
All of this happened because of what we did 13 years ago. You guys should have listened to me. Here's a lesson from Reuben. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. I think Reuben spent his entire life trying to undo the consequences of his choices. But you know what? Choices have consequences. Those of you who are raising kids, one of the things that I have observed, my wife has observed, those of us who are ancient people observe is this. We're not teaching kids that choices have consequences. And these kids are being crippled because of it. You have to teach your kids that choices have consequences. Good choices, good consequences. Bad choices, bad consequences. Sometimes, this is what you're going to learn from Joseph, good choices have bad consequences. We'll get into that as we get farther down the line. But you need to teach your kid that every choice you make has a consequence. And I can't stress this enough because Reuben spends his entire life trying to undo the consequences of his choices. When he made the choice to do what he did against his father, there's a consequence that comes with that. The consequence should have been he should have died instantly right then and there. And one of the things that I see is we, we, we've got this thing so backwards. And we don't understand, and we're not, we're not driving home this idea with our kids, particularly as well as adults, the choices have consequences. And what happens is, as parents, and I get it, as parents, grandparents, we want to soften the consequences. You're, we're not helping when we do that. We're not helping at all. You go, well, it's really hard. If I, if, I, if I hold the line, it's really, really hard. Yes, it's really, really hard. But they're either going to learn it from you where there's safety and there's a little bit of a buffer, or they're going to learn it out in the real world where, it, where the consequences there end up having all kinds of ramifications. And I can't stress this enough. We try to, we, we forget, and I see people all the time, they're like, well, you know, I'll make this choice and it'll be okay and, 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 and everything will turn out good. And I was in a situation this past month where, where I was with a bunch of Christian people and they were talking about, you know, we were talking about God at work and what God was doing and stuff like that. And they brought up this couple at their church who had this horrible life of, of everything, drugs, alcohol, everything. I mean, they just hip deep in. And they were sitting there, and as we were talking, they were talking about what God had done in their lives and how they had been saved and how they had come out of that and how they had gotten baptized and, and they were living together and they got married and they, they, all of these great things. And, they were, and, and as we were ha- listening to this discussion, they're sitting there talking about, you know, oh, God's grace has been so good and so amazing and everything else. And as I listened to it, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that God did that. Don't misunderstand me here. But they were looking at that as a way of God's incredible grace and mercy. And I don't see it that way. I see God's grace and mercy much greater. 
when we deal with one of these little three, four, five, six-year-old kids in here who never has to experience any of that. There's God's grace and mercy on fullest display. When I was a youth pastor, I had a guy, he came to me, he'd been saved out of a really rough background and everything else. And he said, you know, I want to come in and give the kids my testimony and and da-da-da-da. And I said, okay, let's just have a little talk before we do this. I got a couple of guidelines for you. I said, first of all, I said, um, no specifics about your past life. I said, secondly, I said, if you look at the whole time that you talk, said, I want about 10% of it on your past. I want 90% on, on what God's doing right now. And they said, well, no, you don't understand. You got my, my background. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I don't want you to go in front of a bunch of teenagers and talk about your sin and then talk about the idea that God forgave you and everything's okay now. Because I said, I know the consequences of what you deal with. I know the backstory that's not glamorous, it's not any fun. And I don't want them thinking that this is the way it always works. I want them focused on what God's doing in your life, not on your past life. Your past life is past. I want God's glory to be on focus, not all the things that you did. They're like, well, I just don't know if I can do that. I said, then it's probably better that you don't give your testimony in front of these kids. because And, and I've seen it enough times. We want to glorify the wrong thing. Again, glorify God's mercy. Glorify what God's done in your life. That's awesome. But focus on God, not your past. And one of the things that you see with the, in the life of Reuben here is in Reuben's thing, he started out so well. And he threw it all away. And it had a consequence. I think it's important for us to understand choices have consequences. And what we need to be teaching to our kids. You go, well, what are you saying about you know, me? I mean, you know, my life was one of those. Look, I'm going to tell you the same thing I tell everybody else. You are a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus. Let's focus on what God's doing now, not where you were. In the past. Your past is past. Jesus Christ forgave it all. So why do you want to spend time talking about focusing on dwelling in it? Move forward into what God's doing and what God has done with your life. That's where God's glory is shown. When we have one of these little kids who grows up and gets married and has a family and all of these things and bypasses all of the mistakes that their friends and peers have made, and ways that they've messed up their lives. Let me tell you something. That's God's glory on display. That's God's mercy, God's goodness, God's graciousness, God's kindness on display at its, at its highest level in humanity. So I get excited when I see kids who are making smart choices and not, not going the way of so many others. The last thing is Joseph. Um. This is the tough one, because here's what you're going to find. At, at this point, ask yourself this. Has Joseph really done anything wrong? I think he did some things that probably weren't the smartest. 
Hey, guys, look at my coat. Um, hey, guys, let me tell you about the dream where you're bowing to me. You know, probably ought to kept that to yourself. Um, but has he really done anything wrong? Where does he find himself? In a pit. Alone, isolated, rejected by the very people who should have accepted and embraced him. Family wants nothing to do with him. They want him dead. By the way, remember, he's 17 years old in a pit. What's God doing? Doesn't God love him? Doesn't God care about him? Why is God doing this to him? That's how we think, isn't it? God, how come? I'm trying to serve you and I'm trying to do right. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. How come so-and-so gets all this and I get... And we get into that mentality where we start questioning what God is doing and how God is doing it, why God is doing it, and we want, to, we want to spend our time dwelling there. Here's what you're going to see about Joseph. One of the things that, that's going to stand out over and over and over again in the life of Joseph is this idea. God was not doing something to him. God was doing something for him and his glory. God was not doing something to Joseph. He was doing something for Joseph and for God's glory. I believe this pit experience in the life of Joseph is monumental. I believe that while he's in that pit, Joseph comes face to face with reality and makes some really hard decisions. And it lays the foundation for the rest of his life. It's a time where Joseph is abandoned by everyone. He's alone. He's frustrated. He is put in this pit, isolated. No one, by the way, a lot of people look at the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus, and they say, if you want the closest Old Testament picture in the life of Jesus, it's Joseph. Just as Jesus was abandoned by his disciples, Joseph is abandoned by his family. And there's all kinds of analogies after that. But here's the idea. Joseph is in this pit. And I believe that at that moment, Joseph makes a decision. And that decision is, I'm going to stick close to God no matter what. I'm going to serve God no matter what. I'm going to find a way to honor God no matter what. And I say that because as we go into the rest of the stories in Joseph, that's that's what he does every time. Every time. Something had to seal that decision in his heart. And I believe it was in that pit. Because at the end of his life, one of the things that Joseph says to his brother, I think it's it's one of the saddest things in all the Bible. But his brothers actually come to him. His dad has died. And they make up a story. They come to Joseph and they say, Joseph, listen, you don't know this, but before daddy died, he made a promise that you were not supposed to hurt us now that he's gone. And Joseph looks at his brother and he said, you guys missed the whole thing. I'm not going to get revenge on you. You meant it for evil. But God used it for good. 
That mindset was settled in that pit, I think. Here's what I would say to you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know. You may find yourself in a pit. You might find yourself on a throne. Everything's going great. You couldn't ask for anything better. Or you may find yourself in a pit. Isolated, lonely, rejected, difficult, having tried to figure out what God is doing and why God is doing it and how come this is happening to me. I don't know where you are in that process. But here's what I'll say to you. If you will trust him, he's laying groundwork for something much bigger. Joseph is one day going to find himself, he's going to go from a pit to the second most powerful person in all of the known world. What's sad is one of his last experiences in his homeland is in a pit. After this, for the rest of his life, he's going to be a foreigner. He's never going to come back to the promised land other than his bones. And I say that because I want you to understand that no matter what you're going through, God's got something much bigger at play here. But you're going to have to trust him. And you're going to have to hang on to him. Because you're going to watch in the life of Joseph as he goes up, down, up. Down. It's, it's almost like if you want an example of somebody who takes one step forward and four steps back, that's the life of Joseph. What Joseph didn't understand is that's the way it looked from this world's view. In God's world's view, you were taking one step forward and four steps forward. Because this is, think about this for a second. This pit experience prepares him for what he's about to experience. Loneliness, isolation, in a, in, in a world where everything's different, where he feels abandoned, and all he's got to hang on to is God. And he grabs on with both hands, and he holds on to God, and he trusts him, and he says, God, no matter what happens, I'm going to serve you. And you're going to watch. No matter what situation he finds himself in, he continues to figure out a way to serve God wherever he is. And eventually, it puts him on the throne. I don't know what God has planned for you. I don't know what God has planned for me. I don't know what God has planned for this place. But here's what I do know. We hang on and we trust him and we follow him. And every chance we get, we look for an opportunity to serve him. And when it's all said and done, whatever the world throws at us, whatever happens that they mean for evil, God's glorified and God uses it for good. That's the incredible story in the life of Joseph. So this morning I close with this idea. Joseph's story is a great reminder that we have to deal with our sin while it's small. Reuben is an example of someone who starts with potential but wastes it and ends up accomplishing what God, and never ends up accomplishing what God had for him. Joseph reminds us, God's in control. He has a plan. Even pit experiences have a purpose in our lives. But we've got to remain faithful, and we've got to trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it is so easy when we look around and we start comparing our situation to somebody else's 
Or it's so easy for us to sit back and wonder what you're doing and why you're doing it and, and, and what do we do or how do we handle it. And Lord, Lord, would you just help us walk close to you? Lord, for those this morning who are struggling, or maybe some here who don't know you as Savior, would they come to know you as Savior today to start this incredible journey with you? For those of us that have our faith and trust in Christ, Lord, as our, our, our faith gets tested, as things get pushed, as we struggle with just the daily stuff of life, would you help us to just remain faithful and plug away and keep honoring you in all that we try to do? And Lord, for those who are struggling this morning with sin that is small, Lord, help them to be honest to deal with it now before it becomes something, Lord, that becomes so unmanageable it starts just impacting every area of their life. And for those, Lord, who are dealing with the consequences of sin, Lord, would you help them to be able to see that, Lord, um, it's in our past. And we can go forward, sometimes with scars, sometimes with, with consequences that still impact our lives. But, Lord, we can still honor, serve, and be used by you. So use us, Lord, this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing, um, I will serve thee. Uh, a little chorus, I will serve thee. Let's stand together as we sing.